name is Andrea Richardson, and welcome to Fresh Perspectives in uh, Social Work Podcast. Uh, today, we're following up on our second discussion on what organization, uh, what is organizational development. And in our last episode, we talked about organizational development as a way to support not only organizations so they can improve how they function, but also the environment in which people work and lead, um, but also the individual level of uh, this approach to the work and social services can not only impact how we view, but actually do our work, um, but also how um, we work with children and families um, and how they can experience that. Um, today, I'm joined again with Jennifer Kerr, Director of the Organizational Effectiveness Department at the American Public Human Services Association, otherwise known as APHSA, and Megan Clow, Senior uh, Consultant focused uh, on organizational development with Barry Dunn, a consulting firm focused on um, supporting human services. So welcome, everyone. Welcome Hi. back. Yes, yes. Thank, thank you. Thank you, thank yes. you for having us again. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, so of course, I don't want to waste any time. I want to just dive right in. Um, you know, we, we had talked about, like we said, we talked about uh, what organizational effectiveness is, what, you know, what that readiness to change looks like and kind of things to think about. Um, so now we're kind of kind of move from uh, theory, you know, uh, to reality. Some good examples that people can kind of really sort of resonate with um, on top of the ones that we already talked about uh, at last episode. So, um, so how do we take the concepts of organizational um, development and um, put them into uh, everyday practice? How does that, like, how does that shift happen? Megan, you want to go? So that's, it's, you know, you're always asking these great questions. So <laughs> the, um, so how do we put them into practice? So I think the first thing that I would say is, when someone in an organization, and it, it will typically be someone who uh, notices some type of issue or problem, um, when someone approaches us about an organizational challenge that they're trying to address, one of the, the first things we need to do is practically make sure that we absolutely understand it. Mm -hmm. And so listening, and, and Jennifer had said this in the last one, listening, doing our research is one very, very, very important practical step. Mm -hmm. If if we get this wrong from the start, then you can risk not making any progress or even worse, setting it backwards and not mm -hmm. gaining traction. So I think very a first practical, practical step is to take the time, give yourself permission to take the time to really understand the information that you need to before jumping in. As, as might be usual in any other field, we all have kind of creative ideas and we want to jump to solution immediately. And in this field, we would arguably say that because in organizations, everything is intertwined like a spider web and interconnected, it is really important to take the time to understand what the issue is and what the navigational paths are, what the structure is and what that web looks like. Mm -hmm. And so um, as well as as well as people's thoughts and ideas and and leadership's perspective on on things. So that's one very practical strategy. And then I would I would say two more things. A next is to is to diagnose the issue 
in a way that then you are able to say, here's what we understand the circumstance and issue to be. Let's validate that. Mm -hmm. And then practically, let's talk through a series of actions and behaviors that you can take now and the benefits and limitations of each one of those. Mm -hmm. I know that still sounds very high level, and I, I fundamentally believe, and I think Jennifer does too, that there are always more than one strategy yes. to move yes. forward, always. And strategies can impact uh, who's involved, they can impact pace, they can impact capacity, interest, so many things. And so to really outline a variety and then the final thing i like to do because i i've heard people say oh organizational change always takes eight to ten years okay jennifer and i are here to say to you no 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 and no you do not have to plan on a marathon event to impact and address and make meaningful progress in social change mm -hmm. and there are ways very practical ways to help accelerate and still pace it well mm -hmm. so another practical strategy that i really like to do is recommend strategies where the strategy itself serves multiple of the purposes you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> In yeah. other words, you can either choose to do 15 practices addressed at 15 circumstances, or you can find the two that actually address 12 of those in very meaningful ways. And that will make sure that people are actually, they look back at you and say, I'm willing to imbibe that. I'm, I'm mm -hmm. good. We can, we can handle that. So I think that I, I recognize that that's more about the framing of making decisions on what the actions might be. And I still consider those three things critically important to the pragmatic application of theory to practice. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So that's where I'll stop. Now, I, I know Jennifer's going to be able to say, let me take it from there. Because, yeah, yeah. So. let me take it from, <laughs> from there. So um, the first piece just to kind of share for me is start small. Change doesn't have to be this organizational wide thing, this system wide thing. You know, it could be looking at, you know, we have a staff member who's now going to be on medical leave for three months. How are we going to manage that workflow? you know, within our team. So start small, don't make it so over cumbersome or over powerful, you know, within this, what you're doing. Um, and then the other thing I wanna share that really lends nicely into everything that Megan just shared is that one of the things that we utilize at APHSA um, is we utilize a resource um, referred to as the human services value curve. Mm -hmm. And that value curve really is a lens that we use um, to help us look at things from the point of view of the consumer. So not looking at things from an organizational point of view, um, a leadership point of view, but from the point of view of those impacted. Um, and so that value curve really allows us to look at things kind of in four progressive lenses. Um, and so regulative, so what are the foundational needs or things that need to happen collaboratively? Who do we work with? How do we get work done? Um, you know, what does that look like? Integrative. And so understanding why, and, and Megan shared a lot about this, is we don't need those 15 different strategies if we know the two root causes that mm -hmm. help support or the why for all of that. And mm -hmm. most likely, it's probably communication 
is one of those <laughs> one yeah. of those two kind of top strategies in all organizations or the understanding of the why and then generative looking at it from bigger than the organization bigger you know bigger than the community and understanding all of those pieces pulled pulled together mm-hmm. um is just kind of my examples that I use. Yeah, yeah. And I it's funny because like the things that you talk about, I always think of like, okay, uh, like what are the quick wins? What are those things that like uh, I had worked with someone went at one point and they would say like, uh, like what can I do by next Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. So keep it small, keep it a quick win yes. to kind of get that ball rolling um, and get that change going in a really positive way. And then, um, you know, the whole adage of working smarter, not harder, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we don't have to solve, you know, 50 different things all at once when I can do two things that might, you know, solve 20, you know, kind of thing. So, um, so really kind of taking a step back and kind of looking at those things and kind of comparing and kind of thinking about them so that then uh, you're you're doing it in a really targeted way that um, will make sense and kind of also help build that buy-in within your organization or with others that you're working with um, to to kind of get that going in the right direction. So so if I'm doing, you know, if I'm I'm a, you know, person in an organization and I'm thinking about it at like at an individual level, this type of organizational um, development or effectiveness work, um, what you know, we kind of think about sort of the concept of having, you know, certain conversations with folks and I'm, I'm working with families and I'm, I'm doing my practice in a certain way. What would be sort of your thoughts on um, what that might look like, um, kind of concepts or tools that, you know, might be good examples around uh, that type of change? So if I'm understanding the question correctly, um, yeah. it's what, you know, what are some principles for the day-to-day conversations and approach mm-hmm. for motivating and continuing this change? Am I, am I, I just yeah. want to make sure. Okay. You're doing fine. Yeah. All right. Okay. So <laughs> the, um, there's two, the, the, from my perspective, there's, you know, there's two things. And then I, I just want to build on something that both Jennifer and I highlighted in the first uh, podcast, which sure. was really that very active listening Mm-hmm. And listening to understand mm-hmm. uh, rather than to just you know progress an agenda, and mm-hmm. so um, so I think starting with that as a as a basis and and another basis being inclusive kind of egalitarian listening. Everybody has a voice, and when we're thinking about organizational changes, everybody's voice needs to be um, heard. Um, and people really need to have that um, the, the even amount of kind of listening time. Um, now, that does not mean 15 minutes for you and 15 minutes for you. It means people <laughs> being able to really share. So within that, then I have two particular favorites around how do we how do we what are frameworks for having those conversations one i'm a big believer in crucial conversations Mm -hmm. i realize i'm advertising right now it's not advertising for me it's advertising Mm -hmm. for an approach and a concept it Mm -hmm. is it is life-changing personally and professionally so be prepared Um, and (laughs) 
And it's and it's and you can get trained in it easily, um, or you can you know read a book and become familiar with it as well. Crucial Conversations focuses on a collaborative, outcomes-based uh, approach to collectively solving decisions, mm-hmm. where even when we we do that, even when the stakes are high, of course that never happens in our agencies, right? And when there are opposing opinions. And uh, and when it's 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 likely um, that there are going to be some high emotions, right? So crucial conversations really is a, a very solid approach to how do we have conversations. And the sneak preview on that is focus on facts, mm-hmm. acknowledge that those facts we translate those into stories that mm-hmm. that have meaning for us, and acknowledge the stories. Mm-hmm. And then open with curiosity to make sure that you truly understand. So mm-hmm. fact, story, curiosity. And the second I would say, I'm a I'm a certified dare to lead facilitator and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking to a social, you know, group of social work audiences. So I, I am imagining most people here are aware of Dr. Brené Brown's research on leadership and courage and vulnerability and very quickly she her research has demonstrated that there are a set of actions that we can take every day that are daring leadership actions and there are a set of actions that are self-protective leadership Mm -hmm. actions which by the way when change occurs again it's uncertainty promotes a sense of fear and fear can promote self-protection it's a very natural it's a very natural step. It's not something that anybody necessarily is doing intentionally. The good news is that we can recognize what is self-protective versus mm-hmm. what is daring, and we can choose. And I'll give you one brief example. When we're faced with something, we can focus on getting it right, really understanding it versus needing to be right. Mm-hmm. And that's a difference, right? Yes. Getting it right is a daring behavior. Being right or needing to be right is more of a self-protective behavior. So, so and Megan, I others. think what you're saying is, uh, so so there's no more of those conversations where, you know, we're just waiting for the other person to stop talking so that I can put in my point, you know, yes. and, and kind of be right, you know, that, that that's, that, that's gone, you know, we, we have to change how we're thinking about those, those conversations that we're having. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Jen? Uh, yeah. And I think, so when I'm thinking about crucial conversations or having those conversations, um, at a practice level, at an individual level, um, you know, the thing I'd add to um, what Megan said is always starting with creating a space of safety. Um, And so whether that is as an organizational development professional in kind of a work session or as a social worker, when working with a family to get that buy-in, to have those honest or fact-leading crucial conversations, you have to start with creating a, a safe space um, for those that you are, are working with. Um, and then the other piece for me is um, just, I guess, two pieces. So recognizing that um, in an organization, it is supervisors and managers that drive change. 
Mm-hmm. It is not the directors that drive change. It's the culture supporters, which is kind of that middle line um, or middle frame within an organization. Um, and then continuously as an individual, um, when I'm trying to better understand a practice, a change as well is I can't stress enough the importance of understanding the why. Yes, yes. You know, in everything that you're you're doing, is it is that something that's wrong or needs to be changed? Mm-hmm. Or why, you know, understanding why people or mm-hmm. staff are doing what they're doing, understanding why they think this is a positive response or approach to something. And so always key and critical in everything that I do. I feel like understanding the why, Jen, needs to be like in a sign or poster. Like <laughs> that's my motto. Like in the back, yeah, I want to have understand the why in yeah. everything that I that I do. Absolutely, I'm having t-shirts made. I'm having yes. t-shirts. Yes, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I would imagine that from that safety perspective that you're talking, that culture of safety within an organization, it really has to be something that is demonstrated right? Over and over. You can't just say it, you know, that it, this is a safe space. It has to be things that people can see and, and so that they trust it, right? Yes. I can't ever say kind of, you know, from my experience, not only as organizational development, but in my experience in a human services agency as well, is we can't ask our staff to create a space or culture for families that we work Mm -hmm. with that we're not creating for our own staff um, internally. And so that modeling, that building that capacity, again, is happening from the how and not always the what. Right. So, so if I'm hearing you correctly, Jen, if I'm experiencing that this type of um, safety culture within my agency, that almost uh, then translates out to the families that I work with because yeah. it's kind of that that natural progression of you know um, how how that change is experienced and then um, and then you know put out into the field. So you know, I thought it was interesting how you were. Talking talking about how that middle group of supervisors, managers are really important to when it when it comes to um, that, you know, development within an agency and those positive changes that might be happening. Um, What would you say is sort of like, um, you know, their biggest tool that they can use to kind of help facilitate change when they're working with, you know, uh, with their teams? So I I would build on both the prior question as well as the the question sure. you just asked because I think that there's two things there. When we were talking about creating safe space, I would recommend and add a brave space, a brave mm-hmm. space because there are some dynamics, you know, for people for all of us where mm-hmm. we may not ever feel entirely safe. Where on the flip side, um, we may feel safer when we know it's a brave space. Mm-hmm. And and that actually then goes to your question, Andrea, about, well, what can our managers do? So one thing is that our managers, 
and supervisors. So, and we can take a moment just to to uh, describe the difference. So, managers will typically be overseeing a department that includes people. Mm-hmm. There also might be uh, handling the strategic plan for the department, the direction of the department, the the budget for the department, and that's really important because they have a higher level of scope and responsibility than perhaps supervisors. Supervisors oversee the daily operations of a team of people, mm-hmm. um, and both are absolutely pivotal, right? Mm-hmm. So, so depending again whether you're one or the other, this next piece. So. I think they have the toughest role in the organization. And I think Jennifer probably agrees. They mm-hmm. have to be looking up. And when I say looking up, I'm using the hierarchical notion of an yeah. organizational structure, which is not the organizational structure that all of us are in. And I would say they have to be looking toward their leadership to understand the direction. And then they also have to be constantly looking around with their teams to understand where are we relative to that set of objectives and then constantly be thinking about all right where is if there is a gap where is there a gap and how can we how can we broach that gap mm-hmm. so observation is one reading mm-hmm. the cues every day and then conversation is the other really taking the time to have conversations now in our agencies it's not unusual that our supervisors and managers will be promoted from within mm-hmm. and so they may have started um, within an individual operational role critically important and then they may be promoted to overseeing a team. And so I think the major step that needs to happen there is a focus that shifts away from individual, yourself, and your own performance to the team's performance. Mm -hmm. In other words, as we look at measuring the success of managers, managers should be able to be very clear that their success will be determined really on how are they leading their teams Mm -hmm. and that's a big shift that's a really big shift and that shift though that directional clarity allows managers to say i'm going to give myself permission to have a regular coaching routine Mm -hmm. with my team members because mm-hmm. it's important and and I'm really the I'm the liaison between organizational direction and my team's ability to accomplish that in their day-to-day work. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that you know that I would say is constantly making sure that you're aligned as a manager to the organizational direction, understand the authority and the scope of responsibility that you have and give yourself permission to focus on mm-hmm. permission and accountability to really focus on the the experience the performance and the development of your team every day. That's your job, your experience, performance, and development of your team. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, Megan. And, and kind of building off of those things, when you're looking at the experience, the development, the performance of your team, one of the things that I use a lot is Amy Edmondson's Safety and Accountability Matrix that yeah, really yeah. looks at the work. I use it, I should say, um, to look at the work of individuals um, that make up a team within an organization, um, kind of from a performance standard or accountability. So there's that low performance, high performance or high accountability, and then low safety or high safety. And so really understanding, you know, 
are your team members, you know, are they what's considered as part of the apathy zone? So they're kind of showing up, going through the motions, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, kind of tuned out to mm-hmm. the work that's happening um, and really choose self-protection over exertion in, in a lot of the work that they do. Um, and are they high performing, but still low safety? Um, and are they anxious? Is your team members or are your team members anxious? They aren't, you know, maybe from past cultures. We talked in an earlier episode around what is the history, you know, of change and culture within an organization. But because of those, it's real. Do people not believe in change? Do they not believe in like false starts? Do they not want to share ideas, try new things, ask for help because of that high level of anxiety? Um, Or is your environment or your team more of a safe or considered safe one? So, but there might still be some low accountability. So I'm highly psychologically safe, yet I'm creating a team of low um, accountability because my staff now are comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. they they they're doing a great job. They but they don't feel challenged. Um, and your teams don't make kind of full strides in the work that you're that you're doing. Or are you creating a team as a supervisor and as a manager that what is considered as part of the learning zone? So mm-hmm. it is high accountability. So again, back to what we talked about earlier with those crucial conversations. There's facts. There's honesty that are kind of leading it. But you're also creating a a space of safety. They your team wants to collaborate. They want to and believe in learning from each other and getting the work done and they are full of innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just kind of the framework I use a lot when I'm thinking about change or supporting a team, coaching mm-hmm. a team um, from that you know full team perspective. I feel like at the at the top, so at that leadership level, if we're thinking about, you know, we've we've talked about sort of that team level, that supervisor level, and then the individual level at the top, they're kind of they're they're sort of setting the tone, as mm-hmm. we say, like they're setting the tone for, you know, what they'd like to have happen. But that at each of these other levels, there are these, this work that's happening that's kind of making that kind of come to reality. But I really look at those leaders as much as they are sort of the visionary folks, they are in service to the people that, you know, that are within their organization. So how does that, you know, that aspect of serving, you know, the people that that are in your organization, how is that sort of work um, at that leadership level? So I, I, I love that connection. And I also mm-hmm. just want to say, it is funny to think about with this podcast that vigorous head shaking, like head nodding, like in <laughs> agreement with everything that everything's being said is not going to be captured. So we're just globalizing it here. Um, so, so I think you had mentioned that you had mentioned that the leaders are in service to the the team members within the agency. And I think what Jennifer and I would also say is that the leaders are in service to the mission, vision, and values of the organization. Mm-hmm. That's, um, which I know you're saying too, Andrea. So yeah. the reason, uh, <laughs> the reason that, that, um, that I think we would distinguish it slightly is that an organizational development practice, one that is incredibly effective and that also is 
it occurs in every one of the organizations that practice what I had mentioned in our first episode, the chain reaction of excellence, the organizations mm-hmm. that are considered repeatedly to be world-class organizations. Mm-hmm. And that is that they recognize that they are not the first set of leaders that have been in this organization. They will not be the last. Mm -hmm. And they are essentially in service to continuing the practices and legacy. And they create a very tangible set of uh, tools that can outlast and live them in the organization while maintaining stability and direction. And and those include the service promise, and that's the promise that, that you make to, an agency makes to its service recipients every day. What's the promise? And it's usually captured in a phrase and a set of operational service values. And these mm-hmm. service values are literally able to be operationalized. So these are not the values that we might see on some uh, organization sites that we could literally pull 20 organizations and see the same values. These are not those, right? These are a set typically outlined in order Mm -hmm. where, where literally managers and leadership and employees, they use those operational values every day to direct their choices Mm -hmm. and to plan for organizational change. So, you know, for instance, I worked with an organization with a university where when the pandemic started and their their values, their their first value uh, focused on respect and care. Mm -hmm. And then their second was integrity and equity and responsiveness. And Mm -hmm. so when they realized that there were some real mental health challenges that were occurring, among their uh, team members, employees, as well as uh, students, although most mm-hmm. of the students had gone home, they essentially said, we're going to live even more into our values during the pandemic. What's mm-hmm. it look like in the pandemic? We've never done one of, those, one of these pandemic things. How do we live these values during the pandemic? Because what we do know is that our organization is is fundamentally, non-negotiably focused on these values. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, that is one of the ways that 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 leaders can really say, how do we lead? Well, we lead with a service promise and service values. Mm-hmm. We lead by an accountability to those every day. And we lead by a clarity of what those are every day. Mm-hmm. And by the way, they should outlast. They should stick with the organization for a long time. And if you notice that one is missing, like really missing, respond. Mm-hmm. Um, there was an organization, a very famous organization that during the pandemic realized through feedback that they were not, they had never prioritized equity as a as an operational value. And they mm-hmm. added it, even though this was an organization that was started in the 1950s and had never updated, never needed to update their organizational, their operational values. Since then, they added equity. And they have now worked that into operationalizing it every day. Mm-hmm. So that those are the things that I, I really say. Um, and and Jennifer, your thoughts? Yeah. Um, and so in addition, I guess, Megan, into those things that you were sharing, I think the thing for me um, for leaders or when thinking about service culture, you know, within an organization is really around being community centered and mm-hmm. staff centered. 
-hmm. and in all of the work. Um, encourage staff, encourage community members, service participants to be at the table from the beginning mm -hmm. um, and demonstrating that understanding, then helping you as a leader to understand the perspective, the value um, that staff bring and staff see that. Community members, stakeholders, families see that the importance of of those pieces. Um, and then I guess the other piece, Megan, and tying in what you were saying is the values piece. And so one of the things I know, you know, I'm going to talk about it, I think, a little bit um, more in next steps, but is um, incorporating behavior based interviewing. Yes. Um, from the very beginning when mm -hmm. you're thinking about supports, workforce, all of that. So really being able to understand um, your staff, the experiences that they come from um, and, and so on. Yeah, and I think, Jen, I think one of the things that um, that you brought up at, that I think is really powerful is that aspect of having even families or you know mm -hmm. people who are receiving your services who have that lived experience at the table sometimes that you know from an organizational standpoint can be you know might feel a little risky mm -hmm. right because you know maybe what they're going to say is not not rosy maybe they're going to bring up some issues but the the powerful experience from that can really be quite remarkable when you you allow those discussions to happen you allow people to be heard and then together you kind of come up with a solution yes. um which is really you know anytime that those happens it's really like the demeanor that you see of the people who are at the table is quite different right like People smile. They're they're excited. They they feel like they they're they're doing the work that they have always wanted to do. Um, yeah. and so it's very powerful to to sort of allow or be open to those types of uh, interactions and changes. Yeah, and I the one thing Andrea that I would add <laughs> to that too is when you are driving change, supporting organizational change through. Um, people with lived experience through staff, that it, you're not just including staff or people with lived experience that have had positive mm -hmm. experiences within your organization or within the topic as well, because you're going to learn more from those that were challenged through a previous program approach, you know, mm -hmm. um, than you are from people that it went well with right right so i think i'd be remiss if i didn't bring up the whole uh aspect of recruitment and retention especially when we're thinking about any of the human services work we know that that's you know a, a consistent struggle to sort of uh recruit for um for talent and and you know retain them over time and um, and all of the, the issues that kind of go along with that. But when we're thinking about organizational development and effectiveness, um, what are some of the ways that we can engage and recruit to build sustainable options 
um, to support the new direction of the agency because the people who you bring in, you know, you're, you're going through this change. You want to you want to make sure you have people in here who could continue that work, have kind of that value system and kind of fit in um, with the direction of the agency. What are what are some uh, thoughts that you have on that? Well, I think you've somewhat, at least from my perspective, answered <laughs> the question a little bit and I asked it, which is super, right? So, because Jen and I don't really have to work very hard on this one. So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> what, <laughs> what I mean is that um, the, the, the service, promise, and values, mm -hmm. when that is really clear and mm -hmm. co-created, and I really like what, um, what Jennifer and you had both said, co-created by service recipients, right? Those mm -hmm. people with lived experience in the community that, you know, you are working to collectively serve, mm -hmm. uh, when you have identified and kind of validated, clarified what those, that the service promise and service values are, Mm -hmm. then you translate that into the questions that you ask into mm -hmm. how you how you uh, uh, write your job descriptions, how you post your job descriptions, where you post your job descriptions, right? Mm -hmm. So you and then and I don't want to steal thunder, so I'm going to stop talking because Jennifer gave a little bit of a, a preview um, prior to you asking the question. So I'm going to stop talking, Jennifer. So two things. And so um, before we even got to the behavioral based interview, for me, it's also starting with a realistic job preview video that is up to date. And I say that, you know, <laughs> recognizing that that is only one component and I smile. And if you could see me nodding right now. So my oldest child is 19 or will be 19 in the next few weeks. And when she was first born, um, she was utilized as a cast member in a realistic job preview video. So in Pennsylvania, um, in child welfare, we were utilizing realistic job preview videos for the past 19 years. But so recognizing while that is important, it is only one piece of um, kind of workforce, recruitment, retention. And so setting those expectations, having a practice model, so those coming in understand the values and supports um, and then the behavioral based interviewing. So again, I keep saying not understanding the what, but the why and the impact something has. And then finally, um, is that once staff are there, continue with cre um, maintaining that cultural professional development and growth within an organization. Sure. If I if I could briefly uh, re reiterate something that Jennifer just started to connect on by virtue of the um, continue to reiterate it, mm -hmm. I think both she and I would also say be very intentional about your onboarding. Mm -hmm. um, uh, recruiting uh, in and of itself takes a lot of time, effort, and frankly, a lot of money as well, mm -hmm. right? So what we don't want to do is is spend that time, effort, and energy, hire someone, and then for whatever reason, um, lose them within the first bit of time, mm -hmm. even though they align with our values, et cetera. So, you know, what people are looking for is, listen, they told me this story about the organization. 
Is that what I'm going to experience or not? So really make sure that your your culture and your onboarding reflect either the journey that you're on to get to that culture, mm-hmm. right? So that it's an honest explanation and, uh, and also that you're very intentional and thoughtful around creating an onboarding that not only provides information that's necessary, it intentionally develops the relationships that are necessary because relationships become the glue that really starts to solidify I can be a part of this. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there's the both the recruiting as well as the onboarding. Yeah, and I would imagine that with that um that you know that 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 type of approach would also give a prospective employee sort of that idea of what is the agency like? What is that mm-hmm. culture like? Can I see myself there? Yeah. You know, can I see myself fitting in? Jenna, I'm sorry, I thought, did you have some? No, else? I just had one more okay. thing to say again. Yeah. Um, as you know, Megan and I are talking about that culture of professional development and growth, it takes me exactly back to um, in the previous episode, the question that we started it with Mm -hmm. is what is organizational development and organizational effectiveness and you know what Megan and I shared is that is that culture within an organization of supporting the whole worker Mm -hmm. Um, and so, again, it's more than training. It's more than consulting and technical assistance. It's more than coaching. It's more than transfer of learning. It is pulling all of that together mm-hmm. um, to kind of continue um, mm-hmm. that professional growth of, of staff. Mm-hmm. Well, that was the most, first of all, that I just want to honor, that was the most beautiful reconnect back to the original question that I could <laughs> ever have fathomed, right? So, first of all, amazing. And then the the other like final final point is the chain reaction of excellence that i've mentioned that world-class organizations they do what jennifer just described their focus first is on that service promise and that service promise is for their when i say their customers or service recipients it's their employees we are all as employees in the agencies we are service recipients of the agency as well mm-hmm. and so are those that we serve mm-hmm. so world class organizations focus first on their service promise being clear around that aiming it toward their employees and then their employees who've had that modeled and delivered an experience for them are able, as Jennifer had said earlier, to really convey that to service recipients. Mm-hmm. And that's really what creates kind of this ongoing momentum of optimal performance. So, yeah. you know, that that connectivity of the employee care cannot be emphasized enough. And it's mm-hmm. intuitively not where most organizations, unfortunately, go yeah. and and really need to go. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's our that's a really good point. I know that we have for anyone who's listening here that you know they're they're like there's so many resources that you both have you know talked about. So I want to acknowledge that what we're going to do is we're going to put links to those resources in the description of the podcast. So you you'll get all of those resources as well as contact information for Jen and for Megan. Um, but I also uh, wanted to give you guys, uh, you know, if you had one final nugget of, you know, brilliance to kind of help people understand and kind of move in this direction, um, what would it be? And also, I want to kind of give that plug 
to also Jennifer um, because I know APHSA has uh, a great e-learning that's coming, right? Yes, yes. So um, we have, we are super excited that in a few weeks we are launching our learning management system Thrive. So a training hub for resources, innovation and virtual exchange among human services professionals. And so that hub will have lots of resources asynchronous and synchronous opportunities to connect um, again around um, equity, diversity, inclusion, and belonging, around leadership development, about how to have crucial conversations um, in is one of those areas as well. So I encourage you to, to check that out. Um, and my two pieces I've already shared, but I will share them one more time is that um, Culture each strategy and as a leader, step back so others can step up. Wonderful. Megan? I, I, I just love that. First of all, very, very excited about the Thrive Learning Center and just mm -hmm. how much you have described is there. I cannot wait to get in. Um, and so thank you for, for reiterating and sharing that. And then I think recognize that we do, right? We do have what it takes. We have the power and the influence and the tenacity and the care and the purpose to socially construct, maintain our cultures. That's, mm -hmm. that's important to know. It's, these are not created externally to us. The actions and behaviors and mindsets that we bring to work every day they translate to habits and those habits become our identity mm -hmm. and the identity really reflects our character. Mm -hmm. So really, if, you, if we take it back, it, it really narrows down to what do we believe in? Where and are we operationally and directionally focused on that every day and how mm -hmm. we do our work? So, and, and when we're not, or when we wanna be even better at it, Mm -hmm. How can we utilize our care with a set of organizational tools and mm -hmm. resources to improve that? And that that's really, I mean, that's really what, you know, it's a fancy concept, a fancy word. And at the mm -hmm. end of the day, or set of words, really two words, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, it translates to motivated individuals wanting to make sure that they're optimizing the performance of their organization and their teams every day, mm -hmm. choosing a set of actions and behaviors that help them live and operationalize the values. And I think um, for the benefit the incredibly important benefit of all the service recipients of that organization, including and not limited to the employees and the people they serve. So mm -hmm. just so grateful that this, you know, that that we're able to share all of this with this group. Um, mm -hmm. And 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 thank 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 you for hosting this. Andrea. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I love I love the the last nuggets of uh, brilliance that you guys both have. It's it's just I really really can't thank you guys enough. Um, so I would like to sincerely thank uh, both Jennifer Kerr and Megan uh, Cloud for giving us their time and expertise. As you may have guessed, organizational improvements cannot be done just at the top, nor can it be done at the bottom. 
what we've learned from Jennifer and Megan is that it requires a collective approach of all levels. And in the case of social services, it means engaging people with lived experience in order to make changes that will truly um, have an impact on, this, on how services are designed and provided, as well as how communities can partner to sustain the changes that they have been made. The benefits when you talk to the people who have implemented this type of concept can be remarkable from less people leaving uh, leaving for other jobs to communities becoming active partners to families working together to support their loved ones instead of being in formalized services. All outcomes are possible with the right mix of leadership, engagement, and commitment to the process. If you'd like to find out more about organizational development and how it can help you, your agency, or your community, please check out Jennifer and Megan's contact information in the description of this episode and additional resources that we discussed are also there. Thank you and take care. Thank you.